And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. God bless. If you have your Bibles or your technology, as it be, open it up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. I'll be reading there momentarily. I was thinking even as we were singing the song, and we'll be singing that song until hopefully maybe we have it memorized. But I was thinking as I was just standing there, how many of you remember the old 1960-whatever Christmas cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? You remember that? 1960? We, some of us were just little kids when that first came out. And I, I always remember the scene to this day, and it just flashed in front of me. It has really no spiritual connotation in the cartoon, but, it, but I think it has some application for us today that after the Grinch comes and he steals everything, he... He, he wipes them out, remember, for Christmas. He wipes out the presents, and he wipes out the Christmas trees, and he wipes out the food, and he wipes it all out, and he takes it all up the hill, and he's waiting to hear the sound of the groan, the moan. And they all walk out of their homes, and they circle up in a circle, and they sing that crazy who song. Yeah, everybody, yeah, we're not, we're not going to say. And the point of the story was this. That, that the importance of the holiday, and I realize it's all secular based, so I, I, I get it. But you strip it all away, and it still can't strip away the heart. And I just thought about our floods through the years, the floods they're facing. It'll be interesting when it all is stripped away, when you no longer have the bells and whistles. Does it really matter in your heart? And that's what we're talking about. We're in our third message, and because of the hurricane, uh, I determined that it merited uh, a little bit different message for today. I just wanted to use something a little bit more uh, relevant and applicable to our moment. And we've been talking about in this House Hunter series, what kind of church does God want? That's really what ecclesiology means. It's the study of the church and church practices and why we do what we do and not so much what we want, but what does God want and what's the church that he's looking for. And so today, uh, because of the stressful week that so many people have faced, are facing, and will continue to face really in the, in the days and weeks ahead, uh, I decided I wanted to talk this morning on what I've entitled a house for a hurricane, a house for a hurricane. I want to read some familiar passages out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. I want you to listen to this because you want to talk about speaking to the moment. Jesus said these words. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. And beat on that house. And it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And of course, it goes on to say that when those rains came and when those floodwaters rose and when the winds blew... It blew it all away. 
Now, because of the crazy week of this hurricane, uh, I wanted to do what I called in this sermon series an excursus. Do you know what an excursus is? Some of you might, some of you may not. That's the good thing if you hang around me long enough. Hopefully, we'll expand your vocabulary a little bit. It's really okay. Rush Limbaugh said it for years. If you could learn a few extra words, it probably would up even IQ. So excursus. You know, in the back of every book um, that you read, or I shouldn't say every book, but a lot of books, you'll have certain things at the end. For example, at the end of a book, you may have an appendix. You know, not, not the appendix here, the appendix in the back of the book, or an index. Uh, sometimes there's an addendum, and these things are adding information or things you might like to know. Endnotes may come at the end of a book as well. An excursus is the fancy name, hear me now, excursus is the fancy name for a rabbit trail. It's, it's, it's a rabbit trail that you go on if you're a writer or an author in a book because you really wanted to go down it, but it didn't have time to do it in the regular writing. And so today, I'm running down this rabbit trail already in the midst of House Hunter. A storm came, and whether that storm be a hurricane or a natural disaster or even a man-made act, perhaps of terrorism, a storm reveals weaknesses, problems, and neglected areas in people's life. Is that not true? A storm will will show us exactly what area needs to be addressed, even in cities, in states. My wife, Beverly, does it well. Both my wife and Beverly work at a place they've mentioned on occasion. It's called The Tides. It's down in Mount Pleasant. I know this is on Facebook Live, so I promise I will not, I will, I will not out anybody uh, in that area. But The Tides is this upscale condo place that basically as people have of means most of the folks that live there are people of means i don't know that they're all millionaires but they have to be close i would imagine to live in that place but they're people of means and it's interesting that even when you're a person of means as they were getting ready for the hurricane because i was watching and listening to all that you guys were doing it's interesting that even people of means and having money perhaps in banks and in markets and all the things that they may have it in, it's interesting that when storms come, even for them, it exposes their areas of weakness. Money doesn't even get you out of a storm. In fact, the vast majority of time, most of us, not even millionaires, but they would be included, most of us feel like we're pretty self-sufficient, we're autonomous, we're independent, we're also a little bit demanding, is that not true? We're kind of demanding as a people. Think about it. Just be honest. You're, you can be demanding at times. We all can be. I'm de- I can be demanding. Don't look at me like I'm never demanding. Oh, I, I, can fi- I can put you in a storm and we'll find out how demanding you are. We're pretty sophisticated, we feel like. We're self-made until a storm shows up. And when a storm shows up, all of a sudden we have to live outside of our isolated, cloistered lives because we're going to have to drive a car on an interstate with a million other people bumper to bumper. All of a sudden, our cell phones won't work because everybody's trying to use their cell phone at the exact same time. All of a sudden, we find out that who are we going to call to help us because we don't have anybody else's cell phone number. Everything's great until a storm hits. 
No one needs anyone until you're in a storm. I had a, 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 a wonderful person, well-intentioned person, because if they're watching, now that we're live, I know a lot of folks watch in, and I would never embarrass anybody. They were certainly well-intentioned. But they just had texted me asking if it was possible to relocate a person here in town who was in a trailer. And the reason they needed to be relocated was because they were just in a situation and they were poor and other things and, and, and they didn't have any connection in any way, shape, or form. And it's interesting, they never needed any connections in any way, shape, or form until what? A storm. And all of a sudden when a storm shows up, I find out I really don't know anybody. And I haven't been around anybody and that really is the fruit of isolation. In fact, it's interesting to me that here in America, as I was watching all the news reports, in fact, I was watching just after the storm kind of, of subsided, there were people ready. In fact, they were, they were interviewing people from Louisiana, of all places, that were going into the Wilmington area. They were called what the Cajun Navy is that what they're called? The Cajun Navy. And these guys are waiting for storms so they can take their bass boats and <laughs> John boats, I know, and they're ready to go down the road because it just jazzes them and buzzes them to rescue people. And so they were interviewing them and they say, listen, we just live to help people. That's what we live for, to help people. Now, I don't know if it's faith-based. I don't know if they're Christian or they're non-Christian or they're cultural Christians. I don't know. But all of that we see when America rushes like the Samaritan's Purse has semis running into that area. There are other organizations that aren't even faith-based that are starting to do things. And even our government, as slow as our government can be and as frustrating as our government can be, even when our government moves in, all of these are indicators of a fruit of a Christian worldview that I understand that's diminishing. We're living in postmodernism. But it's still the residue of our Christian ethic that existed in this country for years. That is when some tragedy happens somewhere in our nation, watch as people mobilize to go try to bring some help into that area. Now, our problem is in postmodernism, it's no longer really about helping, it's really all about me. And that's the problem with postmodernism. And as decade after decade continues, it's going to be less and less probably of a feature, I think, of finding people that help. Now, I'm glad there are people that help. But it's interesting how less and less are, are probably stepping into it, and it's interesting how that doesn't necessarily affect those that want to be disconnected. In fact, I think Christians should help people if at all possible. Compassion to everyone is an important trait, I think, of the church. But that being said, I, I tell you these stories simply because I find it fascinating how faithfully the church responds. The church responded to Katrina. The church responded uh, to the Houston area when it was flooded. Uh, the church responded here at uh, Abundant Life when it was flooded. We could go down all the different uh, storms and, and tragedies, but it's interesting how all these things take place and yet people are so reluctant to connect. Now, we're going to deal with in later messages about connecting to local churches and, and how do I connect. And, and you, you may not know this, but you have to connect to the universal church, too. You, most people think they don't have to even connect to the universal church. They're just this, that's just automatic. And it's not automatic. 
and I'll show you in Scripture how we connect to that as well. But it's interesting that, that when you're connected to a church and when you're faithful to a church, you may face a storm, but you don't face the storm all by yourself. And I think this is probably as good a moment as any to practically remind us why it's so important to be connected. I don't know how it works with everybody, but I just kind of watched us. It's amazing how many people start texting, hey, do you have somewhere to go? Someone with you? Where are you guys? Are you leaving town? Hey, give me, you know, make sure we know where you're at. And all of a sudden, there's this network that begins to just develop as to care and some form of connection. And in this ever-increasing, technologically expanding era we're living in, it's interesting to me how we have so many ways to stay connected, and yet at the same time, we're finding ourselves ever the more isolated. Our relationships are with screens. This is not a bad thing, because I can keep track of people, and I can talk to you and catch up with you. So I'm not, I'm not against it. In fact, right now my grandson's on my screen patting his tummy. I like that. But most of us, that's our relationships. And so I want to talk just a little bit on this area and just, and just ask ourselves, why, why, why just won't we connect? This is really practical today. I'm not, I'm not dealing with all the, 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 the deep mysteries of ecclesiology. I just want to get super practical because right now there's a storm. And right now, again, I'm just using North Carolina because it's so close as an example. You know, we're going to find out if it was really a smart thing for people not to have a faith-based connection because they may be hanging for a while. Church will help them. Church will reach out to them, I'm sure, in that area. I'm sure they will. That's what Christians do. <laughs> Let me tell you what Christians, the Christ, Christians more than anybody know what it's like to be used. Everybody wants the church when they need the church. Nobody wants to participate in the church when... It's time to participate. I want to ride in the wagon. I just don't want to pull any wagons. I want people to minister to me, but God knows I can't reach out to anybody. I want your doors to be open when I want them to be open, and I want them at certain hours when I want those hours, but other than that, I really don't care much. I could go down that road, couldn't I? But that's postmodernism, and it's affected believers as well. Why won't people connect? I'm just going to give you a few quick things because I promised I wasn't going to keep you long, and I am going to keep that. Number one is reason won't people won't connect is because of real or perceived hurts or wounds. People say, I've been hurt. I've been hurt in the church. Well, probably, I've always said this when people say, I've had a bad experience. If you've been in church life for two weeks, you've had a bad experience. People, it's people. You can be glad you're, you're pastors. I mean, I've had bad experiences every week for 40 years in church life. That's a part of it, People. And that's why people, they don't, they go, I'm, I, I don't want to be a part. Number two, erroneous theology. A lot of people think they don't have to go to church. And we'll, we'll deal with connection and, and faithful, but they just say, I don't really have to go to church. I can worship Jesus anywhere. And you don't understand, if the Lord commands you to gather and you're not gathering, then you're in disobedience. And to him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. So I just blew out your, I don't have to go to church, didn't I? Number three. The fear of control. Well, I don't want them telling me anything. And they're always talking about money and trying to control me. And Well, listen, no one's trying to control you. I have, an, I have enough challenge trying to control my dog in the morning, trying to get it to go outside and come back and feed it. I'm not looking 
I'm not looking to try to control people personally, and I don't think the church really wants to control anybody, but, but, but there is an input, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Number four is that folks are generally unsubmitted and unaccountable. They just don't want the relational accountability. It's not that there's this hyper, this hyper control or anything, but we don't want the, the, the slightest bit of accountability. And, and so, you know, we're going to do it. And uh, by the way, unsubmitted is basically saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it anyone else's way. I'm, if I have to do it anyone else's way, I'm going to complain about it. I'm going to gripe about it. I want to do it my way. Can I just say this, because I'll say this out loud, that, that I honor, for example, Senator John McCain's service to our country and a war hero. But the last song at his funeral, which was unbelievable to me, was as they took his casket out, Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. At your funeral. That told me everything. Everything I needed to know. Please don't play that song at your funeral. I did it my way. Have mercy. Number five, people are independent or they're isolated. They just don't want to be around others. And, and this is making it more difficult, our technology. Number six, they're greedy. I don't want to go to church because if I go to church, then I will have to participate in what it means to financially be a part of the church. I don't want to do that. I want, I want what I want from it, but I'm not going to sow into it. Oh, my goodness. And then finally, number seven, there's zero protection, desire for protection or correction. People just don't want that. They don't feel like they need it. And, and when I get to the more positive things here as to why we should be connected, I can begin to address some of the errors in people's reasonings for not wanting to connect. Now, again, just trying to be really practical because a storm, a storm reveals these things. Um, you know, a storm, it's interesting. I think back to Katrina, and those of you that think back to Katrina, you know who the first people in there were? Faith-based, benevolent helps ministries were the first people in there to help all those folk. Uh, begin to rebuild their lives. Um, why should we be connected? Here we go. Number one is there's a sense of security. You know, when you dwell with the people, there should be just kind of a sense of uh, security. It's, it's like I, I, I've got people that can surround me and, and walk with me and, and help me. And, you know, we can, we can access, we have knowledge that the other one doesn't have. And there's just a sense of security. There's always security in a family. And that's why one of the reasons you connect as a church, because in that family, there's a sense of security. Let me tell you, one of the securities there are is, is their spiritual security is that you know, by virtue of the word of God, uh, longevity of time and other things, that you're, you're not being led astray. And there's a sense of spiritual security in the sense that I'm being input in the right way. Number two. A sense of belonging or a sense of fellowship. I think everybody wants to belong somewhere. You remember when the, uh, years ago, again, I, I, I start telling stories, and as soon as I start telling the story, there's this voice in the back of my mind that says, do you realize how old you are? Because some of these stories are from years ago, but, but there was a, uh, Ted Danson had a show called Cheers sitcom. Cheers, which was a Boston bar. He was a baseball player. And uh, it was probably pretty edgy at the time, of course. You watch those old shows that you thought were edgy at the time, and they're nothing because now everybody's off the edge with shows. But, but remember the song about they'd sing about how everybody knows, your no, everybody knows your name? You know, that's why people go to bars. 
They see the same people. They belong. The bartender calls them by name. They like that. And that's why they, that's kind of like their church. Now, it's not church, but it, it's kind of like what their church is. It's, there's a sense of fellowship. There's a sense of belonging. They, they tell their stories. They tell what happened that week. There's all these sorts of things that take place. Well, that's what church is about. That's why we gather up. What happened to you this week? Anything new? Did you see the game? Did you, you know, I heard you were on vacation. Where did you go? What did you do? Should I go there? These are some of the reasons for connection. Number three is covering. Now, again, I'm putting things out that we're going to come back to later on because they deserve a little bit lengthier discussion. But, but you ever notice... Uh, there's two times, I think, in the Scripture, and maybe Bishop will correct me. By the way, Bishop's speaking next week, so he, you'll have instant opportunity to do that. You can amend me. But if I'm, if I'm recalling right, there were a couple times Paul referenced in one form or another about handing someone over to Satan. Now, that's pretty awesome when you think about that. I mean, I'm handing him over to Satan. Yeah, and I don't mean awesome in a good way. I mean that in a bad way. I mean, but how do you hand someone over to Satan? How do you do this? Or what did he mean? I can, I can tell you, and we're going to spend some time on this, that there was a spiritual covering with regards to your connection to a local church. And what he was saying was, I ran this one out of the church. Now, in America, we don't think that's a big deal because next week I can go to another one. But what he was saying was this, and I, it's hard to put it into the American 21st century context, but what he was saying was this. He's saying, you're not going to be in this church anymore. I'm actually going to write a letter and let everybody know your name, and until you make it right, you're not undercovering. Therefore, you are open to satanic attack. See, people don't, people don't hear this anymore, but our connection as a church provides covering for your life that you aren't even aware of at times. In fact, there, there, there have been missiles that have been aimed at you that have been knocked down. You said, well, I've, I've received a few missiles. Okay, we've all gotten our, own, our set of fiery darts. But what if I told you that you only got about 10% of the fiery darts that were shot at you? You think yourself to be fairly fortunate. Well, it, that well could be the situation because there's a covering that comes through authority and through our connection together. Number four is spiritual input. We all need spiritual input. The Bible says that we can't even understand the Bible because of our private interpretation. But we need others to come help us understand it. Now, it doesn't mean the one who's teaching it to you may not have all understanding either. But, but as we're together learning what God is saying in his word, uh, we begin to get spiritual input because none of us singularly can know everything. All right, we're finite being, and we need spiritual input. Another reason why we gather together. How about advice or wisdom? I just need some advice. Where do I get my advice from? Where do I get my wisdom from? Where do I get some, in, you know, not just spiritual input, but what about life input? I mean, I, I got to get a tree cut down. Who am I going to go see to get my tree cut down? You're connected now. Number six, love and support. Now, I'll be the first to say, does the church trip and fall on occasion? Yeah, probably does on this regard. But at the same time, I can tell you that connection is one of the reasons uh, when you're around a church that you sense the compassion and the care of people that have gathered. It's always interesting to me that, and I've seen this through the years, uh, on several occasions I've had people uh, that and could even have been attending church. In fact, I remember one particular incident. A guy went off on a cocaine binge, 
and he got thrown in jail. And he calls me up on the phone, and he says, can you get me out of jail? And I said to him, well, let me ask you this. Had you called your dealer up yet? He said, well, no. I said, well, why not? Well, he's not going to get me out of jail. Well, I said, you spend more time with him than you do with us. That's where your relationship is, isn't it? He's the one that loves you, doesn't he? He's the one that cares about you. Why are you calling me? You say, you didn't bail him? No, nope, didn't bail him. No, I didn't bail him? It's because he, he isn't going to listen to my sermons. He'll listen to his pain. Amen. That's, that's love. Love is you sit there for a while. We love you so much, you're going to sit there until you're, you say to yourself, I never want to snort another line of cocaine again. I love you so much, I'm going to get you free. Amen. Then the ordinances. The ordinances. The ordinances are the table of the Lord, baptism. Uh, those are our ordinances, and they are served under the authority of the church. There's an authority to that. And again, I'm just telling you stories. I had a friend, this is years ago. You may or may not remember this, but it just came to my mind. When we were still going through school, I was still going through graduate school. We were living in Olathe, Kansas. I had a friend that lived in the neighborhood we did. His name was Scott Gibson. Scott. Well, he got married. He'd always been in trouble his whole life. Never, never gone to church. Didn't know the Lord. Didn't know anything. But culturally, when he was married, finally had a kid. Culturally, he had this instinctual desire to get his child baptized. So he wanted me to come over and baptize his child, in his li or what we would call dedicate, but all he knew was he wanted him baptized. So he kept saying, I want you to baptize my baby in my living room, and maybe his parents and in-laws would be there. And I looked and I said, no, no, we don't do that. Why? Why won't you do that? It's because baptism isn't done as sort of this self-directed, you know, uh, this is what I am creating my own personal religion to be, and you're going to call me over. you got to connect yourself to a church. There needs to be the witness of the congregation. And when that happens, then baptism can take place. Furthermore, bapti baptizing children has to deal with a covenantal relationship with a Christian family, and, and you ain't it. I mean, you can't covenant to what this ceremony is about. You just want a ceremony that somehow appeases your mind that says we're okay with God, and you're not even fulfilling the requirements, even if I believed in infant baptism, because I wasn't Presbyterian, never have been, or Methodist. But there's a reason for baptism of children, which is basically covenantal in the sense that you baptize them because they're being raised in a Christian household. Catholics believe original sin is being expiated. They do it for a whole other reason. But Protestants, when they do it, it's a covenantal sign as to the household and what the household is standing for by way of their relationship to Christ. You know, some of us grew up in a Christian household. And then, then that's confirmed later when they turn into teenagers. Now, you may or may not believe that. I'm just telling you why it exists. The point I'm trying to make is this. That can't happen in any way, shape, or form unless it happens in the life of the church. You can't. So our gathering, you see, has some really practical, important aspects to it. And it's not just linked to sort of this doctrinal area of the Scripture, but it has some really eternal features to it. Think about that. Baptism needs to be done in the life and the witness of the church. That's, etern that's some eternal meaning there. It's important. Communion can't, I mean, I understand people take communion in all sorts of ways, but honestly, communion, the table of the Lord, 
is to be tended to in the table of the Lord is, again, witnessing in the life of the church the broken body, the shed blood, and the covenant, the covenant that God has made with his people. Jesus didn't serve communion or didn't say, here, y'all take the bread, take the wine, go to your separate rooms and have communion. Did he? No, he said, have, every time you come together, every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. There's something important about when we do this together. A storm. Didn't know you can glean so much from a storm, did you? Storm's a good thing every now and then. Because a storm, storm reveals and it unveils all those things that maybe we need to take a look at. I tell you what, I'm glad I'm a connected person. I know I'm a pastor. I ought to be connected, shouldn't I? Do you know if I wasn't a pastor, though, and we've talked about this, we've often said to ourselves, like when we visit our kids or something like that, we've said to ourselves, you know, uh, would we attend this church or we'd, would we do this or that? And we'd have these kind of speculative conversations. And I can tell you this, when it all boils down to it, uh, it wouldn't matter if I was a pastor or not a pastor, we would be connected in a local church. It's, it's just that vital and that important. God's looking for a people connected together. Amen. Stand with me, will you? I told you I was going to preach short today.